This SoFi podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. Back to you is up next, but first take a listen to this other fine Opie show. If you missed Losano or Losano and friends, here's what you missed. 140 frozen turkeys were stolen from an <laughs> Illinois market. Uh, I can't imagine stealing $2,000 worth of frozen turkeys. Maybe it's like the Thanksgiving Robin Hood. He's stealing <laughs> He's the turkeys stealing to, to give to the turkeys. It's, it's oh, hard right. enough to handle one frozen turkey. <laughs> right. Here's the Thanksgiving. Let's give Jesse White a plug right now. Oh, yeah. Our oh, guy. Man. He, most people, I bet, in this room don't know this. Of all the different things about him we don't know. Yeah. He will have collected... And delivered 10,000 turkeys. Yeah. By Thanksgiving. Yeah. Maybe and personally direct it all himself. He, personally direct it all. He'll be, he'll start at five in the morning yeah. and end at 10 at night. And he's done it for 25 years. I had him on my old TV show very early on, and when we had him with the Jesse White Tumblers, and I watched him. He set everything out, out uh, with the the kids. Mm-hmm. He is always hands on. He's always there. So I find him to be a, an amazing, amazing. man, and very lively. While talking, Jesse White called, <laughs> and he did. I showed you. Yeah. He was calling. I said, "Should I take it?" And so he just said that it's 50 years, 15,000 turkey snaps. Oh, oh no. <laughs> And then he called just to make sure. I said, I can't talk. I'm on the radio. (laughs) Radio Misfits. Get more Lausano and Friends. Lausano. Now on Lausano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lausano or whatever it's called. The following is a Tony Lausano podcast. An Opie show on the Radio Misfit podcast network. Boy, I didn't even read that very well yet, Steve. On the, isn't that a nice it's start? Typical. That's, that's typical. Yeah, it is. On the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, <laughs> this is back to you with uh, me, Howard Sudbury, and Steve Baskerville. Howard Sudbury from Studio One and Steve Baskerville from Studio One A. I've named our home studios. Yeah, and people don't know they've got the right podcast until they hear something screwed up like that in the beginning. Now they know they got the right guy. And it's it's usually from it's usually from me, but that's why we got you. You're the cleanup man. You can clean it up. No, no, no. I I contribute uh, as well. Now I know uh, we we've got our special guest who's hanging in there and waiting for us to introduce him. And I just wanted to say one quick thing before we get started. It's not a pet peeve, but you know, I always have something that irritates me or bothers me or makes me wonder. Now, would you rather be too early or too late for an appointment? Would you rather be too early or too late? Well, and you're going say you're going to the doctor's office because this is this is what happened to me yesterday. Well, I don't want to answer this Just, uh, with the with a with a doctor listening in, but if it's if it's a dentist, if it's a dentist. Yes. I might show up on time or a little bit late because I know that they're going to be a little late because they get behind. But generally, I'm an early guy. I don't no. like to be. I like yeah. to be on time. I don't like to be late for, for folks who are waiting for me to to deal with whatever they are, are providing. You know, because they got a busy schedules. But I was about twenty minutes early for the dentist's office yesterday, and he's got this thing where 
Okay, you call from your car. Let us know when you're here. You come in, and it's like a one-on-one thing. It's not like people waiting in the lobby or anything like that, Mm -hmm. which is cool. But I got there 20 minutes too early, and I'm sitting in my car, and I'm thinking, who can I call? Who can I call to waste my time and their time while I'm waiting to go in? And everybody I called was unavailable. I called you, too. And I got pissed off right away because you did not answer the phone. And oh. I realized then I definitely don't ever want to be too early for anything again. I was at the so dentist. That's just a little point I was making. I was in the dentist How chair. How was it? Uh, yours, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? Speaking of uh, late, right. our guest is saying, wow, they're coming to be late. So <laughs> let's get right. into it. He, he's, say, he's saying right now, why did I show up 20 minutes early? Yeah, no, exactly. we're not going to do that to him because I'm anxious is, to talk to this doctor. Uh, I am too. Our guest is Dr. Ian Smith, physician. Uh, he's been host of the TV show, The Doctors, an author, and and I mean really an author, over 20 books, including three novels. And his latest is The Unspoken, which we're going to get into. He has served yes. two terms on the President's Council for Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition in the Obama administration. And his name, as I said, is Dr. Ian Smith. Doctor, thank you for taking time out to join Steve and I. Hey, guys, it's absolutely my pleasure to join you. And uh, I'm excited about our conversation. In fact, Howard, I was looking at your Twitter feed uh, earlier today and enjoying it very much. So it's Great to join you guys. Well, that's uh, that's very kind of you. The first one that uh, said they enjoyed it because, uh, you know, uh, mean tweets can come out, too. Um, yeah, yes, no, and I, and, I, and I agree with them. <laughs> and, uh, well, feel free to chime in. I can tell you that. Um, well, you, you've accomplished so much and you do so much. So, you know, we're, we're happy that you, you took the time. But let's start with the doctors. Uh, I read an article on your television show. This has been a show. It's in its 13th year, and Mm -hmm. you are now the solo host from from what I have read. Uh, And it used to be a panel of doctors on there. And I'm curious, as you do the shows now, with the world we're living in and a pandemic that, you know, that blindsided most of us, how much of your content has been focused on that? Well, um you know, I, I like that you said it blindsided most of us because there were some of us who were not blindsided and some of us who were not blindsided, we act, some of us acted responsibly and others who still were not blindsided, they did not act responsibly, which is why we find ourselves in what some are now calling the third surge of, of the coronavirus situation. But, you know, a lot of our show is dedicated really, this, the theme this year is take your power back. And um, after nine months of this, practically, uh, people have felt powerless. They have felt hopeless, uh, and things are out of their control. And we wanted this year to really dedicate to giving people credible, scientifically-based information that is going to hopefully save lives and give people a perspective about what they should and shouldn't do during what may end up being the worst global pandemic ever if we don't get this thing under control. And so we really want people to understand that uh, we need a voice, and we need a voice that is reasonable, that's not political, um, and that is unified. And that's what we hope to provide on the doctors. 
Well, I, I uh, am very much in tune to believing the science, Dr. Ian, and, and I try to keep the politics. I try to ignore all of that. If, it's not, if the information is not coming from the people that I trust, I really don't want to hear it because you can sort of be overwhelmed with, with different sides of the story, and I just want to do the best I can to always try to protect myself. The thing that I worry about is that I found it easy, well, better to cope as much as I could through the spring and the summer. It's been warm outside. It's even relatively warm today on a Chicago November day where I could sit outside for a while in the bright sunshine. What gives me more anxiety now is dealing with December and January and February where I can't go out. It gets dark so much earlier. Uh, I'm going to be indoors and I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for the winter ahead. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you can give me some uh, advice on, and others I'm sure, who are trying to deal with this next change of season with the same demands on us and, and how we're going to cope with this winter. Yeah, you know, this is a problem. Um, and, you know, I, I get really frustrated because it shouldn't be a problem. We shouldn't be having this conversation this many months into a pandemic that we knew uh, was going to come. Um, and so it's frustrating, uh, to say the very least, of how this has been handled. This has been a deplorable uh, handling of a pandemic uh, by what we call the world's greatest superpower. Just absolutely embarrassing on many levels. But that being said, uh, here we are. And what people are going to have to understand is they're going to have to get their, their minds in the right place. We have 250,000 Americans who are in the ground prematurely. We have 250,000, quarter of a million people. I mean, one of the problems, guys, with the number is that people can't really relate to the number. It's like when you say a Powerball, you're going to win 400 million. Well, you can't really relate to what 400 million really is unless you have 400 million and you can do whatever you want to do. You, you can dream of it, but you can't re really relate to it. Well, it's hard for people to really relate to the number that we have. And what I want people to understand is that you have to ask yourself some really basic questions. And the first question is, how badly do you want to live? Um, and, and I don't say that for a dramatic effect. I mean, that is really the first question you have to ask. If you're someone who loves life, who wants to live as long as you can, who wants to be around with your loved ones, then you have to realize that over the next few months, we are going to have to take drastic actions to stay alive, a lot of us. Um, and part of that is going to be not going out like we would like to, um, but also having the positive viewpoint that if we can get through the next three or four months, that the light really is at the end of the tunnel, in my opinion. Um, but we have to, you know, we're Chicagoans. We have to bear down, buckle down. We can do this, hunker down, and let's get through this. It's not going to be fun. You're right, Steve. It's going to be dark earlier. Uh, it's going to stay dark longer. Uh, people end up having what's called SAD, which is seasonal affective disorder, which is very common when you don't get a lot of sun. But I want people to go into the winter thinking, hey, listen, I'm happy I am still alive, still walking the earth. And mentally, I'm going to say to myself, let me get through these next three and a half months, and then there will be brightness at the end. I think that's the only way to really get through it. I like your attitude on that, Dr. Ian, in that you 
are warning people with the obvious things to do to get through these few months, but you sound an optimistic tone for 2021 because from everything I've read, yeah, if we buckle down and we do what we have to do, it doesn't mean you can't go outside and you can't go for a walk. You know, mm-hmm. you can get out in the fresh air and do all that stuff and, and clear your clear your head, but, but mm-hmm. be careful if you want to live. Buckle down and we'll get through it. And 2021 is going to be a lot better, I think, don't you? 100%. Listen, I think by the early um, reading and reporting on the vaccines, now two of them, um, they're both at least 94 or 95% effective. Uh, it's great that we have two, by the way, because that can help in the supply chain getting more produced. If you're relying on one company, that that's a supply chain issue. But now with two companies having it, it could be a great thing. And I think that once we get the vaccine out, uh, but here's the key, guys. we got to get three-quarters of the country to take the vaccine. In order for the vaccine to be effective, it doesn't work if just 10 or 20 million people take it because that means that the others who have not taken it, they are still vulnerable to the virus and they can still be hosts to the virus to keep it alive. And so, yes, it's good news that the vaccines vaccines uh, seem to be uh, are effective, but now we got to talk about distribution and we got to talk about people actually willing to take it. And the sad part of it is a lot of people are saying, Oh, not me. I'm not going to take that vaccine. You take it first. Let me know how it goes. And usually people would not respond that way. But because this process has been so politicized and so bungled and they allowed politics to step in front of science, the general public understandably is saying, hold on for a second. You know, I'm not 100% sure about this vaccine because think about it. We rushed the vaccine. We had people standing up in the White House saying it's going to happen by the election. It's going to happen by the new year. I mean, all these big, bold predictions that had absolutely no basis in science whatsoever. And, and, And even though a lot of people in the White House, they thought the public is dumb, the public is not that dumb. So even people who are supporting some of this nonsense, they are now being suspicious about the vaccine because they know that the process was compromised. So all that being said, I believe that once the independent scientists review the data and the FDA reviews the data and they say it's okay and they apply for the emergency use and we get this thing in, in production, I think that we will uh, see the end of the tunnel. Do you think it's too early to say uh, with hope maybe it will be a different spring of 2021? I mean, is that looking too soon? Uh, yeah, guys, is there I gotta a, a way to put timing on it? Yeah, if I'm going to put timing on it and I'm just going to be honest, I don't have a crystal ball like anybody mm-hmm. else. If I, mm-hmm. but if my best guess with my knowledge, I would say, you know, it, April, April, May is when we would probably start seeing things really be in a calmer way. We won't be all the way there by then. But I think if we do these mitigating uh, uh, steps, everyone's serious about it and does it, and we start getting the vaccine rolled out. Let's say we get the vaccine rolled out, start rolling it out in sometime in January, February. I think that in April, May, we actually could see the numbers really go down and we can resume some normalcy. Now, let me just tell you guys, normalcy is going to look different. So people need to understand You know, we're still going to have to be very careful uh, until we totally get this thing eradicated. And it's possible, by the way, you can you can have zero cases and but it has to be zero cases everywhere. And this is what I'm trying to explain to people. You can have zero cases in Illinois, but if you have positive cases still in Wisconsin, 
then Illinois and Iowa and Michigan, all these places, everyone, they're still vulnerable because there's still live cases. So we got to get the live cases done. And the best way to do that is by mitigating and the vaccine. Well, we're going to get there. And, and I don't want to drag you into politics or my politics, but I think most of us agree that when we have a new voice and we get Dr. Fauci up front and center, one of the most popular, respected men in the country, and the voices start sending the proper message that I think people will take the vaccine, and I choose to look at it optimistically, and then 2021, as you said, um, it's going to improve as the year goes on. Yeah, well, I mean, the new you know administration... I... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go on, go on, please. I was, I was going to say, the new administration is taking this very seriously, uh, they've assembled a, a brand new coronavirus task force. They're meeting frequently, more frequently uh, than the current one is. Uh, and so I'm optimistic, too, Howard, about what's going to happen. Um, I think for sure, like I said, you know, uh, there was information that was 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 held earlier um, and ignored and dismissed and had people acted on that more seriously earlier. Uh, and allow the scientists and the doctors to lead the policy, we would absolutely not be where we are right now. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Ian. We have not met before, but I have to thank you for what you've already done for me, and I'll let you know what that is. You have completely, uh, in the last couple of weeks, taken my mind off of the the anxiety of the pandemic and politics because of your book, The Unspoken. It is it, it is a great diversion, man. I mean, really, uh, you know, one of those uh, private eye, sort of old-fashioned mystery, whodunit, where is she, what's going on, and uh, it's a perfect novel uh, for times like these because I'm one of those people that I've had it up to here with constantly... Um, just, just being overwhelmed by everything, and, and you need you need help in all sorts of ways. And um, to have a physician who's double duty like this, Howard. I mean, the man is crafting a novel just as good as he is uh, disseminating the information on the medical side. But um, that shouldn't surprise me because I guess doctors do their own sort of detecting anyway, right? I mean, doctors. <laughs> Are, det- That's right. are the original the original detectives. That's right. Well, let me tell you, listen, The Unspoken is my third novel. It is an absolute ode to our city of Chicago. As I look at um, Howard's uh, Twitter uh, picture and the skyline, the beautiful skyline behind his photo. Listen, Chicago's a wonderful city. Um, and I wanted to write a book that's strictly based in our city that actually makes the city a character in the book. I want people who only know Chicago from uh, the cable news networks and from, you know, media and social media. I want them to really learn Chicago and not the stuff they hear on the news. So this book, The Unspoken, uh, is about uh, a guy named Ash Kane, who is uh, a private investigator who was formerly a detective with CPD, who actually leaves the force because he won't participate in the cover-up of a bad shooting and decides to hang up his own shingle in the South Loop. And uh, his first case, as you said, Steve, is a case of a wealthy North Shore Chicago girl who suddenly goes missing, and her very aristocratic mother comes down to the South Loop and hires our guy, Ash Kane, to find her. And, you know, I love 
uh, fiction. I love mysteries. I love watching them. I love reading them. I love writing them. So a lot of people know me for my diet books, but I have an equal passion uh, for writing mysteries, and I'm excited because this is the first of a series. This so Ash Kane's going to be a whole series. In fact, book two is already done. Uh, it's going to publish next October, and it's called Wolf Point. Uh, and you guys may know the premise of Wolf Point uh, for, from our own media. Uh, the president of the uh, Board of Education is found half-submerged in the Chicago River, uh, what is suspected to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But his kids, two years afterward, go to our guy, Ash Kane, and say to him, help us find who killed our father. Uh, so it's just these books are fun to write, and I'm glad that you enjoyed reading it, and I hope others will enjoy it too. Well, I'm, well, I'm this sure guy, Ash, uh, Go ahead, Steve. No, I'm just saying this, this Ash Kane is so real as a, as a character that, I mean, is there a dude that you know that was like Ash Kane? Is Ash Kane in some form, does he exist somewhere? Because he's very believable. Well, Ash Kane is a guy who I wish I could be. He's intelligent. He's handsome. He's tough as nails. He's sarcastic. He doesn't take life too seriously. And he has problems in his romance department. So, you know, he's the kind of guy who said, what kind of guy would I want to sit down and have, you know, eat some pizza with and watch a game? And, and, and it's Ash Kane. So. Well, I smell a movie uh, down, the, down the road at some point. You know, Steve has done a little acting. Well, let me tell you something, guys. It actually just got an option to be a TV series. Oh, it did? Yeah, it's been an option. And we go to market in a couple weeks. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now, now I can I can almost cast this movie, and I know it'll be cast in in whatever way is appropriate and fine. But as I visualize it, all right, tell me tell me how close I am, just in terms of the names we know. I see Ash Kane maybe as Idris Elba. Okay? Ah, okay? yes, yes. <laughs> all right, yes. all right. I, I I see. Now listen to this, hey Howard. Then then there's this sort of uh, rough edged uh, uh, cop that helps him through this. And I see that as Josh Brolin. Okay, Josh yes. Brolin. Yes. Great. Yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, so far, yeah, am I pretty Ro- good? Am I pretty good? Commander Rory Burke. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, now, I see, I see he's got this dude. This Ash Kane has a, a lot of muscle with him. And this muscle, the, the nickname for this guy is Mechanic, right? Mechanic. <laughs> and I, and, and, and I, see, I see that as Ving Rhames. Wow. Zing Rames. All right, wow. all right, all right. Am I am I good? Am I close? Am I close? Yeah, you're doing well. Doing well. <laughs> and, and, and one more. I'll throw one more out there. I'll throw one more out there. He's got uh now this is how far Howard I've I've delved into it. Um uh there's a there's a chopper, a, a character yeah. named Chopper who's essential mm-hmm. in the plot of things. Uh I see him as uh who's the actor? Michael B. Jordan. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Am I good? I'm, all right. So, hey, look, Doctor Ian, you got to have me in when they start casting, because I'll, I'll help you. I'll help you sort through who's appropriate and who's not. But, well, but get, I, I guess if, that's if the. We, f- if, if, if we buy it, I want it to be shot in Chicago, yeah. so I would love to have a lot of Chicagoans come and be part of the part of the cast. Well, well that would well, be a well, key. Look, look here, Chicago's such a no, big no, part wait. of the book. Here, here's an aside. Here's an here's an aside. You find two old grizzly TV news personalities named Sudbury and Baskerville. All right, and they and, and as an aside, 
they they stumble on the slain producer and baskerville thinks sudbury did it (laughs) well i gotta tell you guys i'm actually writing the third installment for this book listen to the third installment um which is called the overnights and it's about mm. the overnights in TV, which is called ratings. Yeah. called the overnights. Sure. And yeah, so I'm sure. writing that. And so, boy, could I see a little role uh, for Sudbury and Baskerville <laughs> in the plot of the overnight. So you, be careful what you I am in. I'm in. <laughs> well, Doctor, forget, forget he said grizzly. I don't like that adjective, man. <laughs> well, you, you better, you better hope he forgets. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Uh, let, let me ask you, this is your third novel, as you said. How did you, well, I'm so amazed. What's the process for you for writing to to have the imagination to come up with these characters and to tell the story from from point A to point Z and 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 to to write it so well? How how were you able to do this and how are you able to do it? Well, you know, guys, I have always loved story. That's where it starts. You got to love story, um, and you guys love story too because you've you've told stories as as journalists for years. So sure. you got to love story, and it's not that far from what we've done as journalists. Me being a medical journalist, it's not that far from telling stories and creating stories. Except you get a little more creative license. You know, you you know, as a journalist, you got to go with the facts. Typically, as 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 a writer, you can go creative and allow your imagination to run free. And so I have always loved to create story. For example, I'd be sitting on a plane and I'm sitting there waiting for the plane to take off and I'm seeing people board the plane. And in my mind, I just kind of wonder about this person. I wonder what she does. I wonder what he does. I wonder where he lives. I wonder what he did last night uh, for dinner. So it's just kind of my mind just thinks about stories all the time. And so this story in particular, uh, I worked with the Chicago Police Department for about a year training them. Uh, helping them lose weight and, and get and get in shape, and I would go with the detectives on ride-alongs and just hear amazing stories. And I said, "Wow, the public never really gets to hear like the other side mm. of police work." You know what I mean? Um, and so it just really it's a combination of my own kind of thinking of interesting things versus uh, having experience of of, of witnessing uh, firsthand or hearing from detectives some of the interesting cases they've had. Do you carve now, out in time speci- to, to to write, or uh, do you write when you know when the mood hits you? I mean, it's tough to sit down in front of the computer and say, "Okay, I'm going to write now. I'm going to write, uh, you know, twenty pages or, or sure. what have you." How when does it, how a, does the inspiration hit you? Yes, I'm a very organized writer, so I am very um, much to the schedule, uh, and a lot of good writers. Um, I, I'm not saying I'm a good writer like that, but I'm just saying a lot of very well-known writers. They're organized, so I have hours that I write no matter what. These are my hours, and I, I, I aim to write a minimum amount, and hopefully I can exceed that, but I at least have to hit this number of hours. Now, here's the other part of it, guys. I write my books in my head first, so what I'll do is I don't sit there and outline my books. I think about the story from beginning. I get my opening scene. I look at it like a movie. I get the opening scene. I figure out where the midpoint is, and then I get my ending. Once I have those three locators, those three benchmarks, then I can sit down to the computer and weave, weave my way to those three points. And that's the fun part of it, by the way. You don't want to over-outline a book because then you're just sitting there and you're just kind of writing what your outline says. No, you want to allow yourself some spontaneity when you're sitting at the computer uh, and you're writing. And one more thing, uh, Robert B. Parker, one of my favorite authors who's no longer with us, um, he had a very famous thing I like that he said. He said he never 
stops writing when he runs out of ideas. He always stops short so that he knows when he goes back to the computer, he always has something to say, a place to start, and therefore the creative process, the momentum can keep going. Now, do you keep, do you keep a notebook with you all the time? Or, are you, well, you know, I'm some people just well, jot down now. things. Yes, my phone. So I have yeah. a, in my notes section of my phone, I always do that. I remember, I remember vividly, two years ago I'm in, at Wimbledon, and I'm waiting um, on the train uh, platform uh, uh, with my family, uh, heading out uh, to the courts, and just something came up. It just uh, something, something struck me standing there watching something, and I just sat there and jotted a tremendous amount of information. So, yes, I'm always taking notes because I'll see somebody, I'll hear a name that someone says that strikes me a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I think writers are always looking for characters or looking for character names and plot, and, and I'm no different. Steve, you asked him... Do you keep a notebook that is so 1980s? Do you have a notebook, Steve? <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me stop my A-track. My A-track is playing over here. Let me stop. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's like, uh, yeah, I was just thinking the other day, who's walking around with a hard copy of a newspaper? You know, you got to stop thinking of a lot of these things in those terms. You mentioned dealing with the police department and, and, and training folks and getting them in shape. Um, I, uh, part of the, uh, I, the stereotype of, of some of the, of police officers is, you know, you're sitting in and they're eating donuts all day. The diet is awful. I mean, did you find that as part of the, part of the problem too? I always envision any police officer who's been on the squad for over 10 years is having a gut and starting a day with glazed donuts. Well, I guess. I got to tell you, there are a lot of guys who, who are like that. Uh, you know, the higher up you go, the longer you've been there, the more you're kind of sedentary, which is not a good thing from a physical standpoint, but I guess it's a good thing from a from a career risk standpoint. But, but yeah, no, I met a lot of guys who, they, I said to them, how many hours a day do you guys spend in the car? And sometimes they're in the car four or six hours just sitting there waiting for something or, or driving somewhere. So obviously, if you're that sedentary, that predisposes you uh, to gaining weight. And of course... You know, the food's not always great. I mean, these guys are sometimes eating on the fly, so they're grabbing something real fast. Um, but then you have other guys who are in great shape, who, you know, they got gyms at a lot of the uh, uh, at the station houses, the district houses have a lot of uh, gyms and equipment for uh, the police officers to use. So uh, it's very interesting. One of my good friends, uh, who was my detective insider, uh, who gives me a lot of uh, inside information, um, he, I went to eat with him uh, the other day. And what's interesting is that police officers all have their favorite spots. Like, they got, I go here for this, I go there for that, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so they have the city yeah. marked out where they like to go get certain types of food. <laughs> sure they do. Uh, well, we want to talk a little bit about diet since you've written so many diet and, and, and health, you know, health-related books. But we're going to take a short break on Back to You with Howard Sudbury, Steve Baskerville, and our guest, Dr. Ian Smith. And we will be right back on this week's Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. We talk with a New York Times bestselling author whose work inspired a blockbuster Hollywood masterpiece. We talk with Midnight Express author Billy Hayes. Listen to Minutia Men Celebrity Interview on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we take a look at celebrity cars that sold at auction, plus roads that talk. 
I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. We are back. This is Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. And our guest, Dr. Ian Smith, physician, author, TV host. I think that you're a uh, doctor. You've um, you worked at WNBC in New York as a medical correspondent, right? And then started with NBC News. So you probably worked a little bit with one of Steve and I's former colleagues, Lester Holt. Yeah, well, first of all, actually, where I started was WMAQ. Um, I started oh, off really? as an intern. Yeah, I started off as an intern for Art Norman. Yeah. Um, when I was yes. a senior medical student, um, I met Art at the Museum of Science and Industry at some gala. I was a medical student at the time, and uh, I was lucky enough to go to this gala. NBC was sponsoring it, and I had seen Art every morning going to class, med school class. And I saw this guy, because, you know, we're up early going to school, and I would see this guy early in the morning, and I said, you know, Here's a funny story, guys. I said, if I ever meet that guy, and I liked him, he's such a great, you guys know Art, he's so fun sure. and uh, such yeah. a great, bubbly personality. <laughs> but I said yeah. to myself, if I ever meet that guy in person, I'm going to tell him he has got to cut that flat top haircut that is out of style, <laughs> that nobody wears it. I'm going to tell him that, right? This is what I said, okay? Yeah, so yeah. Fast, yeah. fast forward, I'm at this gala. Yeah. Uh, my, wife, uh, my wife's father was a lobbyist for AT&T, and so we used to get these tickets to these really fancy dinners, and I would go just because I wanted a good dinner as a student, right? So I'm there one night, and lo and behold, I'm walking to the table, and who do I see but the guy I watched every morning going to med school class. And do you think I went up to him and said, dude, you got to cut that flat top? <laughs> Absolutely not. In, in, instead, what I said to him was, I would love to be your intern. And... Art Norman, being Art Norman, said, had no idea who I was or what I was, said, absolutely, no problem. Come on down to the station. This is the old days where, you know, come on down yes. to the station. I'm on from sure. 5 to 7. <laughs> Let the security guard know I said you can come on by. And, that, guys, that's what happened. That's how I started. So I was an intern for Art for six months, and then everything went from there. And during that six-month period when you were an intern, did you tell him at any point then to lose the flat top? Not once. Not once. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Art Norman, arguably, may be the nicest human being I have ever yes. met in my life. And I did not yes. have the nerve to say anything. I mean, everyone loved him. He was, he was as kind to the janitor as he was to the CEO. And I learned a lot from Art about life. And so um, big shout out to Art Norman. And I always credit him with starting my career because, guys, I wasn't planning on going into TV. Uh, and Art was the one, in, in his subtle way, who convinced me, you could do it. You could do it. I said, Art, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Art, you could do it. And that's, and he pushed me, and, and, and I had a, I've had a great career in TV, thanks to Art Norman. Well, it, it all, like you said, it, the, the, there's a thing about the camera that doesn't lie. And, and people, uh, I think most successful people have to be pretty genuine human beings. And that's what makes mm -hmm. you want to watch them every day. And, and if you can pick that up and carry that with you, it carries you a long, long way. Uh, and, and just being yourself and, and being as uh, even with everybody, that's a big point. Yeah. Who, my mother used yeah. to say, my mother used to say, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You never wow. know 
who who is going to be in charge of what as years go by and who's going to fall so you tried i never tried to play politics at work i just tried to sure. to treat everybody that came along in the, with with the same sort of uh uh, you know, regards. And, yeah. and I was pretty and that's successful. Why you got 30, and that's but, why you went 30 years. You went 30 years at CBS hey. because you, you can't fake it. You can't fake 30. You know, you can fake it through a few years, yeah. a couple of contract right. cycles. You can't fake it through 30 years. You just can't do it. <laughs> you know what my mother said to me? Um, my mother said, she they, <laughs> when I was little, they called me Howie. And she said, Howie, mm -hmm. listen carefully to what, Everybody says you can learn from all of them because they're all smarter than you are. <laughs> no, she well, didn't say that, but she thing, was. But she was right. You can really learn. You can really learn by listening, can't you? Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, see, like, a, like Doctor, like Doctor Ian was saying. I, I think everybody's got a story, right? I mean, everybody's got something that's either happened to them or they were a part of that's interesting. And if you look around, you will find stories everywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, so art got me started in TV. I've written a slew of diet books. Uh, my most recent one was called Clean and Lean, which combines clean eating with intermittent fasting. And people lose on average about 12 pounds in 30 days. But I would, you know, I like writing my books. I have a new one coming out in April called Fast Burn. I love writing these books because, listen, there's no one diet book that fits everybody. And people always say, well, why do you write so many diet books? Because people lose weight differently. People are not able to always follow a particular plan. So I always say, hey, try if this doesn't work, try this. That doesn't work, try this. And I just think that people need to find what works for them. Because just because you read that, you know, half a million people found success on the shred diet, it doesn't mean you're going to find success on the shred diet. You've got to find something that works for your lifestyle uh, for your wallet, as well as what your food preferences and, and uh, medical conditions uh, may allow. Well, I'm just trying to fight. You know, when, when my uh, kids went off to college and they say uh, it's almost universally true that a lot of freshmen go off to college and they come back maybe 10 to 15 pounds heavier for what and they call somebody called it the freshman 15. Like you That's just right. come back from, from eating a lot of whatever at school. I'm trying to fight that right now. Uh, you know, since February, I'm so glad. Hey, Howard, I'm glad Dr. Ian can't see me now. because uh, <laughs> I'm glad I can't see you, too. Wicked, the wicked. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the wicked hairdo I have. The, the, the set, you know, when I was talking about cops with guts and donuts, I, I was really talking about me, actually. <laughs> I'm, 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 sitting, I'm sitting here describing myself. It's the pandemic well, uh, 30. What, yes. What would you tell us to survive? We talked about the things you have to do, you know, in terms of protecting yourself from the virus. But, but how can we keep control of ourselves and, and just trying to stay sh in shape during these next three or four months, three, what would you say? The, the three things I would tell people to do right away is this. Number one, make sure that half of your plate is color and fruits and vegetables. Half of your plate for lunch and dinner needs to be fruit and vegetables. Um, the second thing I would say is that make sure you try some form of intermittent fasting. By that I mean, and this is a whole different conversation, but just real quickly, the idea is you take your 24-hour day and you divide it between two windows a fasting window where you're not going to be eating, and a feeding window where you will be eating. And so you eat all your meals and snacks in that feeding window. Start off with a 12-12. So 
12 hours a day you fast. So, for example, let's say you eat your last meal, your dinner, and let's say you finish by 8 o'clock. That means from 8 o'clock to 8 in the morning, no eating. You can drink some fluids uh, with few calories, but no eating of food from 8 to 8. That's 12 hours. And then you can eat your meals from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. That's a pretty generous way to do it. And then if you want to kind of tweak it and kind of um, get a little more severe, you go from a, a 12-12 to a 14-10 uh, to a 16-8, so 16 fasting and 8 uh, uh, eating. But anyway, so doing some form of intermittent fasting is the second thing. And the third thing is, guys, you got to move. And you don't, listen, gyms are closed, uh, as they should be uh, in, in a lot of cases. P- get out and walk. I know it's going to be cold, so, you know, they won't be long walks. But get out and get your heart rate up. That can go a long way in helping you burn excess calories and actually burning your fat. Doctor, how do you, we all have... You know, we have weak moments. Uh, you know, we all have urges for things. How do you handle, you know, when you have a craving for for Lou Malnati's or or Portillo's or or eating like that? How do you how do you handle that? Do it. You do it. <laughs> all right. Because here's the here's yeah. the idea. The idea is you have to decide and determine whether or not it's really a craving or if it's something that's a constant urge. If it's a constant urge, then we got to figure out how to mitigate the urge and how to how to stop you from doing it all the time. But if every once in a while, like for example, you know, I had a fried pork chop the other day. Now I haven't had a fried pork chop. I can't tell you last time I had it. I mean, maybe I don't know three months ago. But I do like fried pork chops every once in a while. I had an urge. I had it because I don't eat it every day. And so I think that people would do well if they have these urges infrequently. Go ahead and have it uh, and enjoy it, and then that's it. You're done with it for a while, and I think that that also takes a lot of pressure off of people. When people feel depraved or deprived of um, food substances, then they tend to actually want it more, and when they get it, they tend to overindulge or do it too frequently. So my my opinion is go ahead and indulge, uh, but do it infrequently. How do you you feel about alcohol i bet you there are more people generally who who may be drinking more than they normally would uh, as whether it's an urge or not i mean uh, what do you think about that coming into play yeah we covered that on the show actually yes um sales of alcohol are up for sure um and my feeling is that you know uh, alcohol is kind of a conduit for other bad behaviors so you know if you sit there and have a glass of red wine, is that going to be injurious uh, to your weight loss efforts? No, absolutely not. It's not the wine that starts hurting. It's all the other stuff you start eating with it because you, you tend to lose your inhibitions. So you tend to snack, you know, eat foods that are high in fat, high in calories. Uh, you tend to eat bad snacks. So the alcohol itself tends not to be the major problem. It's what that behavior leads to as far as what else you're going to be consuming. Yeah, and so is there is a, a go ahead, Steve? Go ahead, good hour. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say uh, to pick up on what Steve said. I mean, a lot of this is going on right now because, and you can develop bad habits that you're going to have trouble shaking when this is over. But people are looking for things to do or to get them through this pandemic, so they might be drinking a little bit more beer or having a having a martini or two at night. So that's that's a problem, or can be. Well, it can be a problem, but, you know, we are in really extenuating circumstances, right? And there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of stress, not just the pandemic, but the elections and 
now the transition or lack thereof. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on in the world. And so if someone says, hey, listen, I'm going to have an extra drink every couple of days, is that the end of the world? Absolutely not. I think what people have to do, however, is they have to understand and realize and acknowledge that they're getting into a bad pattern. So if they find themselves consuming way more than they used to consume, then obviously that's cause for concern. But if every once in a while you're putting back an extra one, I don't, I don't think that's the end of the day, and I think that you know, people shouldn't be stressed out about it. Once again, everything in moderation, in my opinion, almost everything in moderation, is fine. And so I just think people need to be able to be um, self-aware. It's all about self-awareness and to be able to monitor what you're doing. I need, I need the, my struggle right now is trying to get my body clock in, in just in general. You know, I'll, I'll wake up at two in the morning and sleep till 11 some nights. And then I'm going to bed earlier and waking up earlier. I'm all out of whack with that. How do you get yourself back into a pattern? I think that for me has been one of the most difficult challenges uh, because wow, I have all great- of this lo- loose time. Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. question, by the way, and it's, it's also an important question because people underestimate the importance of sleep, number one, how much you sleep is important, but also how you sleep, meaning whether or not your sleep is organized. And so my recommendation to people is to really set hard rules about when they're sleeping. Uh, getting up and going to bed at various times all week is really not good for your body. Your body likes to be in a nice, comfortable routine. And so one thing that people need to do and understand is, number one, you should not be eating within an hour and a half of going to sleep. Uh, You shouldn't be strenuously exercising for most people uh, within an hour and a half of going to sleep. Um, And also you shouldn't be, you know, watching TV or anything reading a phone, anything that is going to be stimulating your senses. Studies have shown that people who watch TV are in well-lit environments or even using their phones, iPads, whatever, you actually, even though you turn the devices off and you lay down and close your eyes, your brain is still on overdrive responding to that stimulus. And so that's why they say even within an hour and a half of going to sleep, you should not use any of those devices because it really can interrupt not just when you fall asleep but the quality of your sleep well that's great advice because i i've developed a horrible habit of having the phone within arm's reach and say i go to bed you know 11 30 and you know i wake up three or four hours later and then i can't go right back to sleep and i find myself reaching for that stupid phone and there's nothing on there i need to see i don't need to look at twitter i don't need to look at it at all but I, but I'm having there. trouble falling back to sleep, but it's there and it becomes a habit, and it, right. it, it's, it's a form of addiction. Yes, and here's the deal, guys. You know what you do? You take your phones and you put them out of reach, literally, um, okay. so yes. that you can't, you can't get to it. Now, the other part of it is sometimes when you have phones for emergency, if someone's trying to call us, I completely get it. But turning off all your notifications when emails and texts come in, uh, leave the ring around in case someone's calling, but... In general, put that phone out and, you know, you got to say, this is my cocoon. I'm going to sleep. I am protected. Um, I need quiet and peace. And you just got to, you got to disconnect yourself. I, Howard and I have had those discussions because uh, Howard uh, laughs at the fact that I will, at certain parts of the night, I'll say, hey, man, you better call me before 10. Not that I'm going to sleep, but I'm going to be away from my phone. I will take yeah. physically put my phone in another room and yeah. uh and one 
distraction at a time. You know, some people can have the, the phone in their hand, watching a TV show, uh, talking to people. It's just too much going on, and you have to cut some of that stuff out from time to time. And the reason why I said the book, and, and it could be other books, but I'm talking about your book in particular, but reading for me, what made me feel more comfortable was that when I chose to read, I said, okay, I'm going to do this differently. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. This, I'm putting my phone over here. The TV's off. I'm going outside. I'm sitting in a chair. And, and it mm. was so relaxing to mm. focus on one thing and leave all the other stuff behind because all the rest of my life is just focusing on, you know, distractions here and there and there. Yeah. And that's a beautiful way to sort of get away from it all. Yeah. I, you know, guys, I got to tell you, there's nothing more pleasurable to me than to sit down with a good book. I'm reading a John Le Carre uh, spy thriller right now. To sit down with a good book in nice and peace and quiet by myself and just read. And if I read enough, falling asleep. And I, that just to me is just very calming and peaceful. I think I, I hope more people will take advantage of the shelter in place that we're in. And instead of, you know, complaining about it, this is where we are. Uh, we don't want to be here, but we're here. If people could use the time to be more productive um, and to work on things and work on themselves and reconnect uh, with each other and themselves, I think that we would uh, come out the other side of this very um, enlightened uh, to how we can live better and how we can be more appreciative of the simpler things that we've always taken for granted. So you guys, you guys got it right. I'm over there making TikTok videos. <laughs> you know, first of all, when somebody's when somebody's sixty years old, you shouldn't be making a TikTok video. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. And Judy, Dame Judy Dench makes TikTok videos. No, of course, of course, you should make TikTok videos and have fun. Everybody should do it. <laughs> oh, what's <laughs> go ahead? No, 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 no. What were you going to say? What's what's what? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's another that's another symptom dr ian you know you get you get so uh distracted and old you don't remember um but uh i i'm just sort of randomly thinking right now when when we were talking about uh cops and and getting insight into their behavior i remember when dr phil came over to, to cbs his station was going to be aired to channel i mean his show was going to be aired to channel two and they had this big kickoff at one of the malls in Joliet. And he was there and a huge crowd of people. And there were some uh, detectives there, too. And one of the detectives, really cool looking, he had a fedora on, had a, a trench coat on. And I, and I was talking to him casually, and I said, man, I wish I had your job. And he looked at me and he said, no, I wish I had your job. I said, what? He said, you don't... He said, you don't want my job. He said, think about it. I spend my whole day talking to people you want to avoid. I'm talking mm. to liars. I'm talking to thieves. I'm talking mm. to people who want to knock somebody in the head. I'm talk he mm. said, my whole day is filled with, with just negativity. And I hadn't looked at it that way. Oh, he, that worked, in the, the, he worked in the current White House. <laughs> yeah, I'm, might be describing that, right? But that's a whole mindset, man, where, yeah. uh, you know, the detectives and that whole world is, is one that uh, people are running away from, but, but they're running toward it, you know, so mentally yeah. there must be some things going on there that are difficult. I'm, you I'm didn't, you didn't want to suddenly be a... 
You didn't want to be a detective, do you? No, I don't want to be a detective at all, but I've always been intrigued <laughs> by the work that they do and the, the environment yeah. that they do their work in. I think it's a, you know, it's almost like voyeurism. Um, you you want to yeah. see it, but you don't necessarily want to be involved necessarily. Um, and right. he's right, by the way. I mean, I, I've been in the detective squad listening to them make calls and trying to f- apprehend suspects who are on the lam and stuff like that. And, you know, it's nonstop, you know, dealing with, a certain element of society that's not necessarily always the most desirable. Um, and so, yeah, it's a very interesting, but I, I think as a writer of this particular genre, I find that intriguing and I get adrenaline from exploring a world that I'm not really part of, but I always am, am wondering about. And I think that's kind of one of the creative impetuses uh, that has me writing these books like The Unspoken. Doctor, we're going to let you go in a couple of minutes. You've been uh, great with your time here. Uh, We're talking with Dr. Ian Smith, a physician, television host, author. Uh, You also, you spent two terms on the President's Council for Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition in the Obama administration. What was that experience like? It was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. Let me tell you a funny story. So before, you know, you got to get nominated by the president. And um, so I got a call. And from a block number, and the guy at the other end of the call asked me, I speak to Dr. Ian Smith, this is Dr. Ian, and he says, uh, I'm calling from um, the White House personnel office. And I thought, oh, here's one of my friends, one of my guys playing a joke on me, you know. So I'm like, oh, yeah, right. So I'm, I'm kind of ribbing the guy, and I'm getting ready to hang up on him. And he was like, no, seriously, I'm really calling from the White House. <laughs> I mean, because who calls you from your cell phone for the White House? Um, sure. And it was, yeah, it was the guy saying, uh, you've been nominated uh, to serve on the council, the president's council, and blah, blah, blah. I said, really? Jeez, okay. And what do I do? And so, um, you know, we go through the process, and you got to fill all these forms. And oof, my goodness. Uh, they got to vet you and background search, stuff like that. But anyway, I get on it, and it was just a dream come true. I mean, I was with, you know, I'm a sports nut. And so to be there with such sports figures like Billie Jean King uh, and the ice skater uh, Michelle Kwan and Dominique Dawes, the gymnast, and Carl Edwards, the NASCAR guy, and Chris Paul, the basketball player, it was just crazy. It was awesome. Uh, It was humbling. Um, And it was great to actually go to our house, the people's house, um, and meet with the president and talk about things that we thought were important and helpful to the country at large. It was a, a really, really great life experience. But I really wish, and I say this honestly, I wish we all could have some kind of experience like that. It gives you a better appreciation um, of the White House and kind of what happens there. And, you you know, you're in the West Wing and, you know, in the Oval Office. I think, I think the country would be better off if people somehow had more interaction with the White House. I don't know how to do that, but I think, you know, People don't have a connectedness to it. Do you know what I mean? Like they sure. don't, you yeah. know, they hear about yeah. the Oval Office or the West Wing, but that's just what is that to them? And I think that you know, I know you could in the old days you could do tours and stuff like that, but I just think I wish there was some way to make because it really is the people's house. It's our house. I mean, it really is. Uh, and I just wish people had more of a of a interaction with it so they could really understand and respect what goes on there well the west wing obviously i've taken the tour with my family uh years ago and it's a good tour you go through a lot of the white house but obviously you don't go into the west wing what was it like for you when you first stepped into the oval office (laughs) wow um wow 
that was a real heady experience because, you know, I'm a lover of history and I respect history. Um, but when you go into the Oval Office and you realize that that is arguably the most powerful office in the world and that so much of the world comes out of that office, uh, it's a very heady experience. And then you think about all of the greats who have gone through that office, whether they were presidents or vice presidents or visiting dignitaries, whoever, you think about all of the business and the people who walked and sat in that same room. It's just a very, very humbling uh, and very electrifying experience. And President Obama was just really a cool guy. He was very cool. Um, he's one of those guys, like Ash Kane from my book, he's one of those guys you just want to sit there. Mm-hmm. You know, he and I used to joke all the time, and we played basketball together one time, and he was talking junk to me and to Chris Paul. In fact, I have a great picture uh, in my family room where um, he was tapping me on the shoulder. Chris Paul was standing next to me, and he was talking junk about me to Chris Paul, saying, this guy never sweats when he plays basketball. <laughs> and they captured it. It's just a great moment. So anyway, I, I miss those days. And I'm grateful that I had him. I won't bore you with it, Dr. Ian, but uh, I played basketball with uh, Barack Obama at the East Bank Club here in Chicago for years. And uh, he was just, you know, he wasn't president then. He was senator at one point. But, I mean, he was just another guy out there running and sweating, trying to win the game, talking (laughs) trash. Just a a regular guy. Regular guy, right? Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. Well, I, uh, I, I just, every time I would see him, Howard was talking about the East Bank, I would see them after games, just sort of in passing. And I had a couple opportunities at events while uh, Obama was President Obama. And if I was close enough to see him or for him to make contact, one thing he would say to me would be, hey, man, you still in shape? <laughs> you still, you still, and I and and I had to honestly every time shake my head no, <laughs> but he 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 is a genuinely uh, sincere guy, and he's another case of what you see as an image presented to you being who that person is. So the the, yeah. the camera has not lied as to who that man is. Yeah. So yeah, those, those are, you, you've had some you have had some wonderful life experiences, Doctor Ian, and so you probably are in a grateful place, and you're and you're uh, you're sort of paying it forward with the work that you're doing, and it really is appreciated. I've been very blessed, and I acknowledge I've been blessed. I'm very appreciative. I'm very grateful. I'm very humble. I hope to have more, but if I don't have more than I've what I've had, I've had a full life. And I'm just appreciative, and I just want my kids and the generations behind me to be able to have a chance to have as full of a life as I've had so far. Well, Dr. Ian Smith's book, his novel is The Unspoken. And I tell you what, I I, I really enjoyed being on with you. I'm, I'm inspired. Uh, you're an inspiring person. Uh, the, w- the way you speak, you're so, you know, uplifting, and you're so optimistic and and uh you know this has been great i really i've had a great time well you know guys i really appreciate it and you know you both are legends in your business and i always learn from other people so it's an honor to be with you guys and i hope the listeners you know you know will get something out of what we discussed i just think that i just want to end by saying listen there's nothing more precious than life and there's nothing bigger than life and we all have to respect it 
and appreciate it and do the most we can with it while we got it. We got one chance. My old uncle would always says, this ain't no dress rehearsal. This is it. <laughs> and so I live my life like that every day. Every day I get up in the morning, I try to live my life to the max. So thank you guys for having me. And if people want to follow me on social media, my Instagram is at Dr. Ian Smith, spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. And on Twitter, it's D-R Ian Smith. And Amazon has my book, The Unspoken. Well, let's not make this the last time we talk, and and uh, down the down the road, uh, we'll see how things unfold, and and I'm hoping, like you said, we've got a lot more to celebrate come spring, and we'll, and we'll just catch up, and continue to get some of that good advice that you're giving out. I'd appreciate it, guys, and please be safe, okay? You too, and we All thank right. you very yes. much, and we appreciate okay. it. Take care. All right, Doctor okay, Ian that. Smith. Steve, I, Fantastic, I, I meant man. that. That, that was fun. He is an ins- inspirational person, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, look, it's all about uh, your attitude and trying to keep your head in a good place. And I think he helped us do that, helped everybody else do it. He's going to help me knock off these 15 pounds. And that's being conservative. <laughs> That's conservatively oh, speaking. I think you're doing all right. Um, let me mention before we go here, Steve, that if you like Back to You, then be sure to check out some of the other programs on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, like our guys, the Car Guys. The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, our friends Mark Vernon and Lou Costable, lifelong car guys. In fact, they found Steve a Carmen Ghia. I just saw a Carmen Ghia <laughs> in a television show the other day. Um, they it was it was featured in an old movie, and uh, anyway, they'll cover well, the. You finish auto- that sentence. The, yeah, they, yeah. They, they found me a Carmen gear, but it doesn't mean that I bought it. No, it doesn't. But they, they, but, but I appreciate that they found it's it. It's there if you do. Anyway, check out the Car Guys <laughs> report on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. So, Steve, that'll uh, bring it to an end. We want to thank to thank our executive producer, Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H, shows.com. And Back to You is distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com. And I would have to say this was great talk radio today because of our guest, Dr. Ian Smith. All right, I'm off now. I got to go get a plate, and I'm going to make sure the half the plate has got color on it, like you said. And yeah, uh, the other half, well, I, that's, I might slip in a fried pork chop, like he mentioned. But yeah, that's good. At least well, half I'm, the plate will be good. I might go have a cocktail because he said every couple of days that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd pick up on that. Yeah, he didn't say yeah. every couple hours that's okay. Yeah, that's true. All right, that's All right. back to you. We'll talk again yeah. next time, Steve. This one will be hard to top. He's a great guest. See you then. Be well. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Olpi Productions. Tony, can you shut up? On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. A Four Seasons Fun Run. The FBI at 
Chick-fil-A. Our tribute to Norm Crosby. A spiritual journey in Florida. And Rick's brush with movie star Dennis Hopper. All that in unlimited tangents. Listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. I'm Sam. I'm Kimmy. And it's Tommy. On this week's episode of And Friends, we ask the internet why we should have sex. And I make sure we all check our testicles for lumps. And I am riding my friends' coattails to success. All that and more on this week's episode of And Friends. Listen to And Friends on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Is this over? Yes. <laughs>